0: Hello. Welcome back to the Barefoot Books podcast. This week, find out if Prince Flormund can wake Princess Aurora from a one hundred year sleep in this classic fairy tale. After the story, be sure to go to barefootbooks.com to find the complete Barefoot Ballet Stories collection. The Sleeping Beauty, from the ballet by Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky. Once upon a time, when fairies still bestowed both wishes and curses, a certain King Floriston ruled a green and lovely land. Spring and summer were long and gentle. Autumn was a riot of colour, and winter laid a cool hand upon all. For many years the kingdom was a happy place, and the king a monarch who loved to do good. Now Floriston and his queen had almost everything they wanted or needed, except for a child of their own. Year after year went by, and they had all but given up hope when the queen gave birth to a baby girl. They named her Aurora, which means dawn for indeed a new day had dawned in their lives. As was the custom of the kingdom, the king sent out invitations to all of the fairies to attend Aurora's christening. Led by the beautiful lilac, the fairies came in a whisper of wings and shimmering and gossamer party gowns to dance around the baby's cradle. Then they gave baby Aurora her christening gifts. I will give you generosity of soul said one, touching the baby with her hand. And I a contented spirit, said the next. The fairy of bravery kissed the baby on the forehead. You shall be self-assured and very courageous. Then followed three more fairies who gave Aurora the gifts of truth-telling, beauty of face and voice, and lightness of heart. At last, Lilac came forward in her gown of palest purple, trailing lilac blooms she was just bending over the cradle when with a crash the wicked carabos entered the room attended by a host of imps and giant rats more witch than fairy more darkness than light carabos swept along the floor in her long black gown and cloak she stomped across the great hall and shoved her hideous face into baby aurora's "'Pah!' she exclaimed and Spittle splattered the baby's blanket. Then the witch turned. Raising her right hand, she pointed at the king and queen. Why was I not sent an invitation to this child's christening? The rats and imps snickered and repeated the question. Why, indeed? The king and queen trembled. They turned to ask the vizier, Catalabut, who looked aghast there was no right answer silence seemed best but nothing said or unsaid would turn the wicked carabos from her anger you did not think of me but i i have given much thought to you and to your little baby so here is my blessing this little bit of sunlight this aurora shall soon fade when she reaches her sixteenth birthday, she shall prick her finger on a spindle and fall down dead. Ha ha <laughs> chorused the rats and imps. The king and queen and vizier recoiled in horror. The fairies were in such a state, their wings beat as fast as a hummingbird's in flight. One by one and two by two they begged Carabos to change her mind, But the old witch would not, or could not, undo what she had just done. At last, Lilac came forward, her mouth set in a thin line. Wait, I have not yet given my blessing to the child. And while I cannot lift the curse entirely, I can soften it. The room was hushed, waiting. Lilac continued. When Aurora is sixteen, she shall prick her finger on a spindle and fall down. That is beyond my changing. But she will not be dead. No, she will fall into a long sleep, which can only be lifted by the kiss of a handsome prince. A long sleep. The whisper sped around the room. Carabos growled at Lilac, like a wild animal at its tamer. She made a wicked, angry sign, and her imps and rats chittered. But Lilac only smiled. This made the old witch even more furious. Begone, Carabos! cried Lilac, raising a hand. Trouble this kingdom no more, and take your familiars with you. The Lilac Fairy's magic was powerful enough that Carabos was forced to flee, wrapping her long black cloak around her. The rats and imps darted after her. After the christening, the vizier, Catalabut, advised King Floriston to send a decree throughout the land banning all spindles. But how will that help? the queen asked. Think, my dear, Floriston told her, if there are no spindles anywhere in the kingdom, Aurora cannot possibly prick her finger, can she? His wife shook her head. If that were all that was necessary, we wouldn't need fairy magic. She knew that no comfort is to be had where curses are concerned. But her husband and the vizier put their faith in decrees of this sort. Indeed, the kingdom ran on such things. And for a long while, their plan worked. Over the next fifteen years, Aurora grew into all the good wishes the fairies had given her. She was brave and spirited. She had a contented soul, full of laughter. She was generous and truthful, and her voice was as beautiful as her face. Everyone in the kingdom loved her. And after a while, everyone forgot all about the terrible curse. Everyone, that is, except Catalabut, who one autumn day found some women gossiping and knitting together. Now... Knitting needles are not spindles, but they both can prick a finger. Catalabut had the culprits arrested at once and was about to send them to jail when the king and queen pardoned the women. No harm done, said the king, who truly loved his people. No harm done, agreed the queen, who loved them equally well. But the knitting needles were taken away nonetheless, as were needles of every shape and size. Time went by. Things that should not have been forgotten were. Things that should have been remembered were not. Now on Aurora's sixteenth birthday, a great party was thrown in her honour. It was the day she was to choose her future husband from among the assembled princes. All the children of all the courtiers were invited to the party, and they came with presents and garlands of flowers. They laughed and sang and danced. Then, one by one, the eligible princes were introduced to Aurora. She smiled at each of them in turn, for she'd been brought up to be polite. She listened to their vows of love. Yet she remained unmoved. Perhaps she did not feel old enough to be married. Perhaps she did not like any of the princes enough. Or perhaps, since this was her birthday party, she just wanted to laugh and sing and dance the night away without having to make such hard choices. As she danced, with one prince and another, with the children, then by herself, she felt full of joy. And that joy illuminated her features as if she had been lit from within by a bright candle. Suddenly, Aurora found herself face to face with an old woman, clad in a dark woollen cloak that covered her from head to toe. The woman's kindly eyes shone back, reflecting Aurora's happiness. "'What is that?' asked Aurora, venturing close, "'for in the old lady's hand was a strange wooden toy with a pointed end "'which she spun around and around. "'A present for you, my pretty,' said the old woman. "'A gift from my mother and my grandmother, "'something that means so much to me that I wanted to pass it on to you, "'for alas, I have no children of my own.' Aurora took the toy. I thank you kindly, Granny, she cried, and may you too have great joy on this day. Oh, I will, whispered the old woman. Then Aurora took the toy and turned it over and over as the old woman had done, and the pointed end pricked her finger. Oh, she cried in surprise. Oh! Suddenly feeling faint, she stumbled across the room, then swooned in front of her parents, seated on their thrones. The old woman suddenly flung off her cloak and stood before them in a black satin dress, sparkling with dark stars. Carabos! the king and the vizier, Catalabat, cried together. "'It is indeed I,' cackled the wicked fairy. "'You may have forgotten me, but did you think that I would forget?' The queen screamed and slumped into her chair in a dead faint. A hush descended over the revellers. Suddenly there was a flash of purple fire, and the Lilac fairy appeared. She pointed to Carabas. Begone, you old witch, for you have already done your worst. Carabos left, but she was laughing all the while. How can you help, dear Lilac? wept the king, for my child lies dead at my feet. Lilac shook her head. Your memories are truly faulty, my king. Remember, I told you the princess would not die, but merely fall asleep. What good is a sleeping princess to the kingdom? asked Katalabat quite sensibly. Then, suddenly recalling the rest of Lilac's promise, he added, "And where shall we find a prince to kiss her? He looked towards the four princes who had already vowed to love Aurora. But the lilac fairy knew that none of those princes was brave or strong or smart or sensitive enough for Aurora. So she did what any good fairy would do. She put the entire kingdom to sleep with a wave of her wand. For would it not have been a real tragedy if Aurora had outslept them all? The king slept with the queen in his arms. The boys and girls slept, the four princes slept, as did all the other guests, the cooks and courtiers, the guards and gardeners, they all slept. And as they slept, a great briar hedge grew around King Florestan's castle, a hedge with deadly thorns, to keep the kingdom and its sleeping inhabitants safe from all intruders. Now that magical sleep went on for a hundred years. Meanwhile, outside the kingdom, there were revolutions and wars, and then peace once again, and brand new countries rising from the ashes of the old. In one such country, far to the east of the castle and its briar hedge, lived Prince Florimond, a young man of great energy and wit. He had been out hunting and had arrived back at his father's palace late into the afternoon to discover that a surprise party was in progress. All the courtiers were in the middle of a riotous game of hide-and-seek. He tried to make his way up to his room without being noticed, but one young woman spotted him, and then a second and a third, and soon he was surrounded. But the prince did not desire any of the women there. He simply smiled shook his head and walked away from the game, from the party. He would have walked away from the castle if he could. Suddenly, a beautiful fairy appeared before him as if from nowhere. As it had been years since any fairies had appeared in the world, the prince was understandably surprised. But being a young man who read books, he recognised her at once. The purple gossamer gown and the shimmering wings gave her away lilac was as beautiful and changeless as magic allows she called the prince to her if this party is not to your liking she said i can promise you a grand fairy hunt instead a fairy hunt certainly sounded more interesting than his father's surprise party so prince florimond nodded in agreement and followed lilac down the steps in the courtyard for his eyes alone, she summoned up wood nymphs who danced before him. But what am I to hunt? he asked. She pointed at the nymphs, and suddenly, in their midst, appeared an astonishingly lovely girl of about his age. She had hair the colour of ripened wheat, and eyes as blue as speedwells. Prince Florimond could not stop staring at her. For the first time... He knew what love was, a pang in the heart that would not go away. Who is she? he asked Lilac. Your promised bride, she told him. Princess Aurora. Go to her. Prince Florimund nodded and chased after the girl, seeking to hold her in his arms. But if this was a hunt, she was too quick for him. She vanished into the shimmering air. Aurora, he cried, but she was gone. So turning to the fairy, the prince implored, Bring her back, please, bring her back! She is just a seeming, an apparition, replied Lilac. I cannot bring her back in the flesh, but I can guide you to the castle where she lives, though the way is hard. Prince Floriman knelt before her. I will go to her however hard the road. Take me at once! Lilac smiled, then waved her wand, and a boat suddenly appeared, bobbing on the waters of a lovely winding river that had not been there a moment before. Step in, my prince. He stood, and without a moment's hesitation, climbed into the boat. Lilac got in beside him. Then the boat bore them along the river, until at last it came to a stop beside a vast tangled hedge. Beyond the hedge, the prince could see the tops of towers, where ancient tattered banners fluttered in the wind. There, said Lilac, gesturing to the castle. But where's the entrance? asked the puzzled prince. You must make your way through the thorns, said Lilac. True love awaits you on the other side. Do not be afraid. I'm not afraid, said the prince he got out of the boat and went straight up to the briar hedge. There he could see the whitened bones of men who had been there before him, caught in the thorns. Taking out his sword, he raised it on high, but before he could bring it down, the hedge suddenly parted to let him through. Strange, he thought, and for a moment he was frightened. Only for a moment, though. Then he walked on. As he passed through the hedge, he realised he could hear no birdsong, no dogs barking or cattle lowing or the impatient neighing of horses. He heard no laughter or chatter of people at work. Very strange, he thought. He was no longer frightened, but his curiosity grew with every step he took. At last he came to the castle door. The guards on either side were fast asleep, snoring gently. If that had happened at his father's palace, they would have been dismissed at once. But he could not bring himself to be angry with them, for while they slept, he could enter the castle unchallenged. Just inside stood a butler with a tray of cakes. The prince touched a cake, and it crumbled into dust. He walked past ladies-in-waiting, who were waiting, indeed, all fast asleep, their hands resting lightly in their laps and near them their fine lords slumbered just as deeply, and the king, with his arm around the queen, snored gently on his throne. Prince Florimond was astonished. He fancied he could almost hear the castle itself sleeping deeply, the stones moving in and out with each breath. He shook his head to clear away the fancy, but still he kept on until he came at last upon the girl he sought. Princess Aurora, asleep in the exact spot where she had fallen a hundred years before. In her sleep, she was as lovely as when he'd first beheld her, an apparition brought to him with a lilac fairy's magic. Kneeling down by her side, he touched her cheek. It was warm beneath his fingers. He bent over and kissed her on the lips, and her eyelids fluttered. When they opened, he nearly drowned in the blue depths of her eyes. "'You,' she whispered. "'You,' he answered. It was a pledge. The castle awoke at once, the stones no longer dreaming, king and queen and vizier, the little maids and ladies and gentlemen, the snoring guards and gardeners, butlers and builders, cooks and coachmen— all woke up. In no time at all, they turned the old birthday party into a wedding celebration. As at the christening so many years before, fairies fluttered in, their gossamer gowns shining with gold and silver and precious gems. You, whispered Florimund to Aurora, are the most precious jewel of all. Then, with the fairy's approval, all the heroes and heroines of fairy tale came to call. First to arrive was Puss in Boots with his partner, the White Cat. Next came Princess Florine, all in blue, and with her, the Blue Bird of Happiness. Red Riding Hood raced in, chased by the Wicked Wolf, followed by Hopper My Thumb and his brother, escaping the troll. Then came Cinderella and her prince, and the Fairy of Diamonds. At last... The music began to play for the prince and princess alone, and they danced before their guests, who laughed and applauded with delight. Because, as the lilac fairy said to the king and queen, as they watched the couples spin around and around, these two will indeed live happily ever after. That's all for today's episode.